Teaching students is hard. Teaching parents how to let their kids learn in today's world, that might even be harder. But we found someone who knows how to motivate kids while influencing their parents through love, inspiration, and personal responsibility. Robert Anderson, author, speaker, and award-winning high school coach, is this week's Game Face exec, a man who, growing up in New York, honors his parents for helping him overcome bouts of racism so he could recognize his own inherent gifts. And it's my pleasure to welcome to Game Face Exec's podcast, uh, a new friend, uh, Robert Anderson, who, when you become his friend, you get to call him Rob. Isn't that right? <laughs> true. True statement. True right. statement, so for sure. I get to call you Rob now. Uh, some people call you Robbie A. Uh, your father's Mr. A. Uh, so there's a lot of names going around the Anderson household. But for today, we uh, really want to thank you, Rob, for joining us on Game Face Execs Podcast. It's going to be a fascinating conversation. So welcome. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. Looking forward to it. Well, Rob, I appreciate you being willing to join me because uh, I think we're going to talk about some issues and some topics that I know are near and dear to you, and they're very topical in society today, and I think we're all going to learn a lot from this. So you are an educator by trade. You have become an educator in your adult life, and you had an impact. You've had an impact on hundreds, thousands of individuals, particularly our young people, and we're going to talk about that. But I, I'd like to start, if we could, Rob, by talking about Rob Anderson, the learner, not Rob Anderson, the teacher. And you and I have obviously talked offline um, and uh, we visited, uh, we chat about what's going on in this unusual environment that we find, uh, both economic, uh, health, social, and, and so forth. What have you learned, Rob, from your perspective what have you learned in 2020 so far? I think similar to a number of people is the emphasis on family and how important it is to make sure that we slow down. And during this fast paced world that we're living in, certainly uh, in America, um, specifically in New York, uh, life moves fast and with four kids and, a wife, we have, we have a lot of obligations and commitments. And uh, so again, similar to another number of people, I've just learned to slow down and really appreciate my time with family. And during 2020, I've had an increased emphasis on how to give. You know, it's always been my nature um, to love people. And I love people. And as you've already noted, I, I love uh, I love our students and I really have a passion for educating, teaching and coaching students. And when you don't have the opportunity to be in front of them, you have to figure out another way to give. And 2020 has put a spotlight really on the emphasis of my spirit on how to give, even when you don't necessarily have the opportunity to be in front of them. So it's really highlighted and created a lot of opportunities for me personally and professionally to grow um, by writing a book and doing that for uh, the educators of the world and finding a way to serve and serve, serve our students um, in a way that's different and unique in a way that can really enhance their life. Because again, we have to start doing things differently. And I'm not really sure, Rob, if that's going to change moving forward. Yeah. You know, there's so much in what you're saying. Um, 
And so I'm going to try to slice it up a little bit because I want to dig into your insights, Rob. Um, And by the way, uh, you and I noticed that uh, when we started this podcast today, for those watching on YouTube, uh, Rob's always think alike, you said, and that's why we're both wearing similar (laughs) shirts. True (laughs) Uh, statement. Yeah, I love that. Uh, So, Rob, about education. Uh, You know, I'm a parent. I have three sons. And uh, they're all now out of the educational system. Uh, mm-hmm. You have kids who are in the educational system today. When I say educational system, I know that's a wide swath. Um, but for parents, for grandparents, uh, for community members, what do we not understand about the educational environment today mm-hmm. that you, as an educator, wish we did? I spent 14 years in the classroom and I've really 15 years in education and I had the opportunity to work under incredible leadership for the majority of my career. And the reason why the leaders that I had the privilege to grow under as an educator were so influential is that they gave me an opportunity to grow. And when we step into the classroom, specifically young teachers and young educators, there's a sense of excitement because you have so much schooling and testing and there's so much work and, and the interview process is grueling. And you finally get your own classroom or at least you have an opportunity to have your own students. And, and for so many teachers, those students become your own personal kids. And then what happens is the opportunity to grow is so fruitful and the system takes hold of you. And we all have needs. And one of our essential needs is the need to grow. And if we aren't growing, we're dying. And the educational system doesn't consistently allow our beautiful, bright educators, even our educational leaders to put their two cents really into the classroom the way that they felt that they could over the course of their career. Um, The system itself um, has become so stringent and so strict and so structured that our educators don't consistently have the opportunity to evolve and to use their creativity and to use their their, their knowledge and to use their expertise and to use all of their experiences because the system has become so structured and our school administrators, our leadership is under so much pressure from not just their superintendent and the school board, but from, from making sure that our educators are following a system and making sure that they're hitting the standards. And when you're focused on hitting the standards and when you're teaching to the subject, you get away from having the chance to teach to the student. And the more time that you spend teaching to the subject instead of the student, the reason why you went into education starts to diminish. And then you start to feel as though you aren't growing. And that in turn makes our system broken and it starts to break our educators and our leaders. And it isn't because they don't have a passion for kids or they don't have a passion for education. They just don't have all of the resources and the ability and the time 
to share their experiences and the things that they know that the students need because of the system that's in place. So it sounds to me then, uh, and, and you're very articulate about this, so uh, I'm sure our listeners and our viewers are understanding what you're saying, but let me just tell you my interpretation. Mm-hmm. It sounds to me like you're saying that starting at administration levels, down into the classroom, the teachers, they're kind of forced to color by the numbers. It's like, don't, don't get out of the, you know, don't get out of the, of the lines, right? If you draw outside of the lines, something's wrong with you. And so because of um, limited time, and I perceive you would say limited resources, they have to stay within those lines. So they're confined. So uh, then it takes a lot of the personalization out of teaching and they're not allowed to, to draw from their own life experiences, their perspective, uh, their insights, because they have to be very stringent, not to mention the fact, this is another thing I'd like you to comment on, in most classrooms, the, the classrooms are, are brimming with students, and so that individual attention is also being sacrificed. Now, just to be clear, I, and I want you to clarify or correct mm-hmm. anything I just said, but mm-hmm. also to be clear, tell our audience who you really focus on as a teacher. What, what is your demographic? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think you articulated it well. And, and the biggest takeaway, I can give you a few examples, certainly for the folks in your audience that aren't in education, um, so, they can, so they can apply it. Um, to their world and, and certainly gain some value from that. Uh, but first to answer your question. Uh, so I've, I've taught at the middle school level for more than 10 years. And I've also taught at the elementary school level K five um, for a number of years. And I've coached at the high school level. So my demographic is K through 12. And when we look at education and what what we're struggling with, what educators are struggling with is consistently being able to teach to the student instead of the subject. And I'll give you an example. This were a sport and certainly having the ability to, and the opportunity to coach the game of lacrosse, um, we have positions and there's goalies and, and attack men and midfielders and defensemen. It would be similar to saying that we only allow kids to play midfield and we have to stay in the midfield and they don't go to attack and they don't ever go to defense or defensemen just play defense and they don't have a chance to go to attack and an attackman stay on attack. And if you play goalie, you never come out into the field. And that would be an example of having to teach to the subject where our educators have the ability to consistently on a daily basis. And it's a need to teach to the students. We have beautiful educators. We have bright educators. We have unbelievable administrators. And the system doesn't consistently allow them to teach to the student. The emphasis from the system is not necessarily on the student or to the subject. And in business, you could take it and you would say, well, we're, we're just going to have, we're just going to speak to our HR department, but our HR department doesn't talk to our sales group. And when we know that we need each part to have conversations to make sure that this, the whole entire body is working together in unison. Does that help clarify? Yeah, it really does. Um, so this problem that you've just laid out for us, mm-hmm. 
what's the root cause of it? Or is it difficult to put your finger on one thing? I'm thinking of a lot of possible causes. It's, it's like I say, lack of resources. Let's let's just call it what it is, money. Uh, Mm -hmm. Or it could be the misuse of money that is being earmarked or channeled to education. Uh, Certainly there are differences of opinions as to what should be taught in classrooms um, and even the qualifications of those who are granted the privilege of being in a classroom mm-hmm. with 30 <laughs> eager students. Mm-hmm. So uh, give, us, give, us your, give us your insights on some of the causes of these problems that you've laid out. So, so you've brought up a few of the highlights and there isn't just one, but certainly I focus on a specific goal and certainly one um, solution. Uh, certainly funding is a challenge. And when you look at your, when we look at our inner cities and we look at the classroom size and we look at the resources that are available to our schools in the inner cities, it is a challenge. It's a challenge for one teacher to work with more than 25 students. That, that, that's a serious challenge. And again, when the emphasis needs to be on teaching to the student and not the subject, in that case, And in every case, our educators have to build a connection with each one of those kids and understand who they are. And that becomes a challenge, the larger the class size. And then certainly just the demographic alone that our kids have to deal with to get themselves to school, whether or not they have mom and dad at home, whether or not they have food on the table, whether or not they're safe, whether or not they feel protected just getting into a classroom, which is a reality for too many of our kids. And moving along into the suburbs, then it's a matter of, yes, we have resources and, and, and I'm certainly grateful for that. And, and I'm someone that's privileged to that. I didn't grow up in a tough neighborhood. I grew up in an incredibly beautiful neighborhood in, in a beautiful environment and with amazing teachers, educators, and, and with a mother and and a dad that supported me every step of the way through college. So if anything, I am fortunate um, to be able to explain and share and and have that experience. And I also know that walking into a school in the suburbs as a black man adds completely different level of demographic and of challenge. And it isn't necessarily because of things that were negatively done to me, but it's just another example of how I know I wanted and needed in reflection to be able to connect to the people that were in front of me and the educators that I, that I had the chance, that I had the chance to be taught by again, incredible people, beautiful people that I still have relationships with today. But I know that over the course of my educational career, I was constantly looking for somebody that looked like me, somebody that I could relate to, somebody that I felt um, instantly connected to because of the way that they looked. Mm. And I never had that. The connections that I was able to forge were because teachers taught to me. Teachers put the subject to the side and taught directly to who Rob is. And that allowed for the educate that allowed for our bond to be created. And at that point I was, I was ready to learn anything. I, it wouldn't have mattered because they had the ability and took the time to make sure that they knew who I was as a person. And that's because of who they are as people. That was their per- desire. 
but it was also because of the atmosphere that I grew up in that they had the latitude to be able to do that. Hmm. Uh, within within this, the school environment, uh, we are seeing, and we've seen as long as I know, uh, uh, a gravitation into education by people who have first a regard for, for students and learning. Uh, we've, it seems like we've always, however, bemoaned the fact that they're underpaid uh, mm. and they would perhaps would say they're not, um, they're not supported by mm. parents as much as they wish they could be or by their administration, perhaps. Mm. Um, without disclosing names, uh, my mm. wife and I recently visited with uh, a woman who's retiring from education in the state of California, who I believe, if my memory serves me, she has been teaching for 30 to 35 years uh, in Southern California, and she's retiring at the end of this academic year. And she says that the environment uh, for a teacher has changed dramatically in those three mm -hmm. decades. It used to be that she could not get parental involvement. And now, at the end of her career, yeah. it's the exact opposite. It's like parents will not leave her alone, and they're so invasive in what, this, what the teacher is trying to do that she just throws her, her hands up and says, I just, I can't manage parents anymore. It's taking the fun out of teaching. Talk to us a little bit about the evolution you've seen when it comes to parental involvement. I, I often joke and uh, my kids, my kids uh, are, are aware of this. You know, if my kids are going to play a sport, they have to be big enough and strong enough to carry their bag. And when we see kids get off of a bus, um, one of the first things you'll often see is a, a parent or a caregiver taking their son or daughter's bag from them and putting it on their back. When we see kids walking to the sports field, uh, you can take note of how many parents are carrying their son or daughter's bag to the sport field, to the sport that they are going, the, the student is going to play. They don't carry their own bag. And my kids laugh at me all the time um, because I look at their bag as, um, <laughs> as something contagious. And, and, and they just put it on the ground at this point. And, and they know, you know, they need to get themselves situated because my wife and I are not carrying their bag ever. So to your point, there's been a massive shift in the way that parents see themselves and the achievements of their students as an accomplishment of themselves. And parents have taken um, note that and if their son or daughter is going to achieve, that's great. And, and, they're, and, and they give their son or daughter credit, um, but the idea of them failing is an example of the mom or the dad failing. And that is a major shift because growing up, uh, my mom and dad, um, sent in cookies and sent in treats around the holidays. And my mom and dad said hello to my coach and goodbye to my coach and dropped me off at the door 
And that was it. We didn't have any other conversations. So that's where the shift is first, uh, first, first started, where parents see the achievements and the failures, or I really will say the failures as their own. Mm. Um, and I don't know at what point in education that happened, but it's happened. So Rob, the next, yeah. If I may, if I may, just inter, or just yeah, interrupt you for a moment because I want to, I want to ask, if you were, if you had the, if you had the opportunity on day one of a mm-hmm. school year, yeah. or day one of a season, yeah, rather than collect the students in the classroom or collect, or gather your team around for a huddle to explain your philosophy and what we're going to do this season, let's say the kids were waiting in the car, and you were gathering the parents around. Mm-hmm whether it's in the classroom or the athletic field, what would that conversation sound like if you had that opportunity? Rob, I do it. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I do it. Um, I can, I can walk you through exactly what that conversation looks like. And to the thousands and thousands of parents um, at this point that have sat down with me in parent teacher conferences and certainly on the athletic field, um, this is not news to them. The first thing I ask is what do they want? What's the goal that they want for their own son or daughter? And I ask for the answer and I wait. And typically the type of answers that you'll hear are, well, I want them to become independent. I want them to have a great experience. I want them to have fun. Well, I want them to be the best in the class. And you'll hear those types of answers or the best on the field. And, and I'll turn and I'll say, well, why do you want that for them? And you'll hear something along the same exact lines. Um, and then the key phrase is, well, what's missing? What's, present, what's preventing them from achieving that that hasn't been there in the past? And, and usually you'll get a quiet uh, response from at that point because they don't completely know what's missing until they're, until they're given time to reflect on it. And slowly but surely, you'll see a hand creep up and you'll hear a brave soul say um, something along the lines of, well, they need to be more independent. They need to be able to fail. Um, They need to be a little uncomfortable. They need to be a little less scared. You'll hear something along the lines of that. And I typically let that sit with all the parents. And then I'll turn around and say, well, how do we do that? what's our role? What's my role in doing that and supporting and how do we support each other to to get to our goals? Then we can turn around and we can say, well, kids need to be more independent. They need to carry their own bags. Right. I don't, (laughs) right. And you know, because if I turn around and I just start screaming and yelling, carry your own bag. Right. You know, people, get a little turned off and a little uncomfortable, but certainly to an older audience, to high school, to high school kids, it's, well, if they have a problem, they need to see me first. And then if they have a problem, they need to see me second. And if they have a problem, they need to see me third. You, you don't have, we should only be having conversations about uh, the weather, the game, the, food that we're going to have at dinner to make sure that it's healthy and it's green and we aren't putting um, things that are going to slow our kids down, right? We need to help put healthy 
put healthy food nutrition into our kids. Those should be the types of conversations that we're having. If we're having, if, if you feel as though they're struggling because, or maybe the friends that they're around, certainly call me. If you're worried about their energy, certainly call me. We shouldn't be having conversations about playing time, right? So as in, in the same type of conversation in academics, it's the same exact thing. How do they get in contact with me? They should be emailing me. How do they see me? They should be staying after. What should they do? They should be coming early. What should they do? It's not your role. Even, even at the middle school level, it isn't their role. It's the role to make sure that their son or daughter has the things that they need to, to achieve. And then we can check in on each other. Hey, this is what I'm seeing. It's great that they came in with their homework. It's great that they came in with their, um, with their, with prepared for the exam. Unfortunately, this is the degree that they, that, that, that they received. Here's the plan that we discussed, me and the student. And this is what we're going to do next. If you can support them in this role, that would be great. But instead, Rob, what we're getting is parents bombarding, parents calling, parents showing up at the gate when their son or daughter doesn't step onto the field, parents taking their kids off the sideline because they sat for a quarter and didn't get enough time, parents watching the time to make sure that the that everybody gets equal time, or if they get a minute less, they have a complaint and they go right to the superintendent in order to complain. So we have to establish, we in education, we as coaches, we as people have to establish what our goals are for our kids. And then we have to create a path to achieve it. And then we have to allow our kids to be able to walk that path alone with our support, not you know, Rob, our control. You are um, the epitome of the kind of coach that we champion in a national organization called Positive Coaching Alliance. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, I'm sure you've heard of them. Uh, they're mm -hmm. ubiquitous around North America. I've been, on the, I've been privileged to be on the National Advisory Board for Positive Coaching Alliance uh, for more than 15 years now. And this is the kind of mentality and culture we're trying to promote. Mm -hmm. And it's all the way from the administration of a, of a league or a school, uh, of a conference, all the way down through the coaching ranks, the parental ranks, and the players. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so you just described that really what we believe is the ideal environment. Now, just out of curiosity, how many parents have pulled you aside in your yeah. history as an award-winning coach and said to you, hey, I appreciate you challenging my son or daughter like that. I appreciate you putting them through the paces like you are. I appreciate you not giving them what they believe they're entitled to. I like that mm -hmm. you're hard on them. Is mm -hmm. that a common refrain or is that like, man, we never hear that? Mass. I don't want to put an artificial percentage on it, but I would say um, it's, it's extremely high that I would hear that. It's it, the mass majority of the athletes. And I would even say the, the students I've had the opportunity to work with, that's the line, the phrase um, and, and, the, and the, and the gratitude that I hear from parents, the mass majority, mass majority. 
Well, it's got to be, Rob, though. In fact, you surprised me with your answer. because. Mm -hmm. But now that you say it, I think it's the case because you set the tone from the very beginning. They Mm -hmm. know that when Coach Anderson is going to coach their son or daughter, Mm -hmm. they know what they're going to get. Um, and when you're going to teach their, their son or daughter in the classroom, they understand your style. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought you were going to say that that kind of being hard on my child is very rare. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think once they meet you and they see the value mm-hmm. of what you're teaching and, and that philosophy, they've got to embrace it. Mm-hmm. Correct. It, it, and, and this is, and, and this is the way that I, and this is the way that I, I share and I, and I believe it'll, it'll make sense uh, to you. Um, and I, and I say this to parents, um, you didn't get to where you are because you're soft, <laughs> you know, you know, Rob, you, you're, you're a gentleman, you're, you're, you're intelligent and, and you've, you've accomplished a number of things in business. And at the same time, you're soft spoken, um, but you aren't soft. And when parents hear that, um, as they pull up in their cars and certainly their vacation homes for some folks and for some folks um, that are living amongst modest means, they can connect to that. They aren't soft. And if their son or daughter is going to take the next step um, in carrying along their legacy, whether, um, whether or not we like it or not, um, and we can get into that conversation later, you can't be soft and being soft would just mean owning who you are. And if you can't own that, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you're given. It doesn't matter what opportunities in front of you. It doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have. And when parents can connect to that, that their son or daughter is going to have the opportunity to become more of who they are through this process. Um, It's, it does resonate and it really does, Rob. It resonates and, and it it gives them wings. And I should say, truthfully, it gives them ease. It gives them ease to know um, philosophically that um, the things that I say are not my way. It's not Rob's way. It's the right way. And that's the only way to do things. And it's to get our kids to a space where they can identify with who they really are. And everybody resonates with the fact they don't want their kids to be soft. Yeah. Well, you remind me when my wife and I were young parents trying to uh, obviously direct our kids down the path that we thought would be would be most fulfilling, which would bring them happiness. Mm-hmm. We ask ourselves, you know, what subject should they study? But even when they're young, we ask, what should they be doing after school? What mm-hmm. kind of hobbies should we, should we direct yeah. them to, introduce them to? What sports? Should we even include sports? Now, uh, my wife will admit that she grew up in a house of girls and sports was really not their thing. They had a lot of other talents. In my home, uh, sports was kind of what I did as a young boy. And so Mm -hmm. since we had three sons, which were, that was a new thing for her, raising boys, of course. Mm -hmm. I remember having that conversation with her when they were young saying, I think we need to drive them into sports. 
No, I should say drive. Well, maybe literally we should get in the mm-hmm. car and drive them to the soccer field um, <laughs> yeah. or the baseball diamond. And I, I try to express to her that I believe sports is where kids are most likely to have to suffer through hard things mm-hmm. without being in jeopardy, without jeopardizing mm-hmm. their health or their safety mm-hmm. and hopefully mm-hmm. their mental health. But mm-hmm. through that experience, through doing hard things, our boys will learn important life lessons um, that will serve them well throughout their lives. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, my wife agreed with that thinking and we have seen the results of it. Um, let's move a little bit from the athletic field for just a moment because I, I don't want to shortchange the work that you do mm-hmm. in the classroom. Tell us a little bit about the book that you've written and yeah. uh, uh, you know the, the title of the book, and a little bit about the uh, um, the the overall goal and purpose of that book, and who who would it benefit most, if you would, Rob? Yeah. So a few years ago, I realized that um, education. I felt as though my voice was being lost in education, and um, the the system itself, I felt, is broken. And I do believe the educational system is still broken, and. I wanted to find a solution and I knew that my background in athletics and in training was a part of the solution. Certainly wasn't my full voice and being a classroom teacher for, for 15 years, I felt connected. And then I started to feel as though my voice was being lost because of the system that we're under. And I wanted to be able to combine both of those things. And so I've left teaching and started a firm called Win by Design. And we're a firm that focuses, we're an educational consulting firm that focuses on teaching educational leaders how to become more influential. And we do that through, certainly through a system, but we do it by teaching our educational leaders first, the foundational principles of human needs So they can identify their needs first. So we teach to the teachers. We teach to the educators. We are true personal development firm for educators, not a personal development firm or personal development um, opportunities where we come in and put another system on people or, or tell teachers how to do something again. We're not that, but an actual firm that trains teachers how to identify their needs first because their needs aren't being met as people. And we ask them to do a lot. I know it because I was in it. I was living it, Rob. From there, once teachers understand how to develop their own personal needs, then we have an opportunity to open up the world. Um, I would say again to our educators where now they can impart their knowledge, their desires on how to teach to our students instead of the system itself. As I was going through these virtual talks and across the country and I was sharing, it started to develop a thought on what I can give of all the things that these kids don't learn while they're in school. And the first one is goal setting. While we're in school, pre-K through 12th grade, odds are we haven't had students that, or an opportunity, to ha- we haven't had an opportunity for our students to just learn how to set goals. Set goals, write them out, 
put them on paper, and then teach them how to accomplish them. So we've had kids in school from kindergarten through 12th grade, and not only have they not had a class, odds are they didn't even have a, 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 anyone talking to them about goal setting. So that's the first part of the book. Instead, that's the first, that's one of the 12 things. Uh, the, the next one is how to identify your gift. And your gift is the thing that you do best that requires the least amount of effort. Because now we have kids that go through our schools, kindergarten through 12th grade, and they graduate, and some are now going to college, and some are opting not to. And the ones that go to college still graduate, and they still don't know what to do. And really, it was breaking my heart and really, honestly, driving me crazy. <laughs> so <laughs> teaching, teaching, our, teaching our staff how to help our kids identify their gift and when they start to think about what their gift is, they shouldn't be attaching it to a job. They should be attaching it to a mission. And then as they start to create a mission, that'll lead a way for them to either get a job or to create a, a new business that doesn't exist. So those are two of the 12 things that aren't being taught in our schools um, that could certainly be shared to our, to our educators that they can absolutely impart on our kids. I remember one time, Rob, when you and I were talking uh, mm -hmm. I was really fascinated by something that you said regarding the heart mm. and education. Can you share that with the audience? We're just going to have kids in our class that, that need love. No matter what, they, they're going to need love. And, you know, the little ones will certainly grab your leg and sit on your lap. And, and as they get older, I think we, get, we can get confused when uh, some, of these, some of these boys are six foot four or six foot five. And, um, you know, they tower over their teachers, some of them when they're in seventh uh, and eighth grade, but they still need love too. And unfortunately, um, too many aren't necessarily receiving it all at, at home. And some of them will just settle for connection. And that's, that's a piece of the heart um, that our educators have the ability to give. And, they, and certainly our administrators do as well. And then significance, because we know that we have these kids that come in and at the end of the day, um, they're going to find significance in a positive, negative, or neutral way. And there's kids that come in, Rob, and they're going to find significance from walking in late, or they're going to come in and they're going to find significance by you know, falling off a chair or uh, doing so or cracking a funny joke. They make everybody laugh. And some of those things are disruptive. And some of those things are actually really funny. Uh, so acknowledging the fact that we do have all of these needs and we have these need structures um, that, is, that is documented and it works. And when you understand how to apply those needs to yourself in education, then you can identify those to the students that you're teaching. And it makes it that much, uh, I would say, um, fluent to form a connection and we can teach anything that we like, but that's, mm -hmm. that's an example of the heart and, and what um, I believe um, we do with our firm, win by design in, in, in teaching and certainly empowering our teachers. But it, it, even beyond what we do, um, it's what our teachers are capable of doing. And it's probably why they got into it at the beginning. Well, you know, I don't think anyone listening to you can say, oh, I disagree with what Rob is saying, because what you're saying seems so um, natural. Uh, it seems yeah. so real and authentic. And, and yet the tragedy about some of what you're saying in my mind mm -hmm. is 
for example, you talked about love. Students need love, yeah. right? They yeah. need attention. They need to, we need to understand why each student is significant because they need significance, right? Mm-hmm. The challenges I see, and I, I use the word tragedy, is that in this very uh, sensitive society where we live today, yeah. it's so, it's, it feels like it's so difficult to make those connections with students if I'm an yeah. adult. And in fact, even in the workplace, it's difficult to make connections with your colleagues because it could be misinterpreted. And yeah. if it's misinterpreted, you could end up in the HR office that afternoon. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And yeah. I'm sure the, the, the same is true at a school. You could end up in the principal's office or having an yeah. unexpected parent-teacher conference yeah. uh, because your good intent was misinterpreted. Um, Am I describing, am I, am I overblowing this dilemma or is this a real dilemma that's getting in the way of the kind of goals that, that you and Win by Design teach and train in? It's, it's, I think you're spot on with the challenges. And I think it, at first it goes back to the folks on the front line, the, our educators. Our educators are under so much pressure that when they wake up in the morning, and when they walk into the building, when they close out their day, um, so much of what they do at times doesn't feel fulfilling. And it doesn't feel as though it's even touching the surface of why they even got into it. And you magnify that by a day or a decade and you become dull and you can become numb to what you're even doing. So the first step is reconnecting with our educators and in educational leaders and certainly our community members have to they should feel pressure if not feel an obligation at a minimum to make sure that we are filling the cups people that we're asking to do the most and in my humble opinion we aren't doing that so that's where that's where we need to start if you would fill so our our educators cup first let's shift um one more time yeah you and i have had candid conversations offline about mm-hmm. race Mm-hmm. And it's a very, uh, it, it's, it's a very prickly subject in our country. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it shouldn't be, but it is. So a lot of what you've said today um, comes from the lens of a black man who mm-hmm. did not, was not raised in the inner city, was raised mm-hmm. in a fairly affluent area. Yeah. Um, and you had opportunities. You have, um, you have both parents at home which Mm -hmm. I personally believe lends terrific advantage Mm -hmm. uh, to any of us, regardless of race or ethnicity. Mm -hmm. Um, How has your race shaped your thinking towards education? Yeah. So I really appreciate the question. I appreciate the courage of the question. So I had the unique opportunity to grow up in in a beautiful town in, in New York in Westchester County uh, a town that I hold near and dear to my heart and incredible friends, incredible opportunities and wildly overachieved um, athletically. Um, something we, we are still super proud of. And then I had the opportunity um, to also spend <laughs> the mass majority of my life in the city. And my grandparents, my Nana and Papa are, were living in, in the city and, um, my closest, uh, my closest friend um, was in the South Bronx, and 
I spent weekends, countless weekends with him. And so I, I really felt as though I had a, a balance of seeing what life, what my life was as a, as a kid. And, and I had opportunity fairly uniquely to see what life could have been had my parents not made, specifically my dad, made different decisions about what he wanted for his family to move us uh, and himself and my mom uh, out of the city. It, it, it changed the course and the direction of my life. And it's part of the reason why I have the privilege to be here with you today. And Rob, I did not get a free pass. I did not get a free pass uh, because of where I'm from. I didn't get a free pass because of who my parents are. And the reality is um, I have stories and stories and stories um, on how racism has impacted me, on how um, I've been the target of racist, on how I have been um, singled out because of my race. Um, countless stories. And the reason why um, my I have a story and not a tragedy um, is because certainly I'll, I'll say faith for sure. Um, but it's also because my parents had the resources and they had the, they had the knowledge and they also had the heart um, to make sure that I was taken care of when those things did hit our family. And they had the knowledge to be able to, and the resource to, in place to make sure that none of those things impacted me um, into my adult life. But then they also had the heart to make sure that negativity and racism didn't impact me and impact my, my, my mind on, on white people and on white people in authority. And my dad had every perspective as a police officer. Um, he was an award-winning police officer and um, I come from a long line of, of law enforcement and knowing the background and the pure intelligence that my dad had and then being able, um, and then unfortunately having to see his son um, be targeted. And then at the same exact time, um, they, my parents didn't allow negativity to harden my heart. It was actually just quite the opposite. And they made it very clear that there's, there's bad people and there's people that are just going to be racist and there's people that are just going to target you and there's people that are consistently target you because of who you are and because of the way that you look and to make sure that none of those things and none of, none of those events um, shape what they believe, which are people are good. And by and large, good will always win as long as we allow it to win in our heart and in our spirit. And that's, that's one of the, the, the I'm, I, I am, I'm a product of, of them. And, and um, that's shaped my reality um, to this day, Rob. It doesn't blind me, but it's helped shape it. You know, um, this would be a good time to end our conversation because of the, um, because I feel what you said is very uplifting but there's also a lot of lessons to learn hearing a black man raised in America, raised in New York, hearing your story. I, I think though we could learn a little bit more if you'll allow us to from you here in this regard. Can you give an example of one thing that 
the predominant race, I'm, I'm Caucasian, you're black. Mm-hmm. What, what is one example of something that I might do that was, is probably unintentional, but that in your mind would mm. be considered racist? Mm. Mm. And I'm sure, and, and in fact, I, I just recalled something you taught me or you told me one time. Um, and I don't know if this is the, what you'd want to say, but I'm going to lead you to one answer and then you can add another mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Um, those, those watching right now can see that Rob Anderson uh, doesn't have a lot of hair. He shaved his head. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I remember. Just for you. <laughs> yeah, I remember, though, you telling me one time about just someone touching your hair. Yeah. Yeah. Can you just, I don't want to finish the story. Yeah, yeah, me, yeah for sure. It comes to mind, but I, I'd like to hear anything else that we could learn from. Yeah, for sure. So I'll give two examples, but I'll, I'll start with that one. So growing up, and again, I grew up in a, in a beautiful area in a place that I, I hold in the highest regard um, in New York and Westchester County. Uh, but growing up, it was, it was uh, really quite common to have people, teachers, um, want to touch my hair because at that point I had a big fro, not too big. I grew it out in college and I, and I let it lock up against my dad's best wishes. Uh, he didn't love my locked up hair and he certainly didn't like the fact that it was the color of the Texas Jersey behind you. Uh, that kind of, that kind of drew, wow. drove him crazy, Rob. But, um, growing up, you know, it was very common that people would come up and, and want to touch my hair because I was so different and not just because of my skin color, because, um, they hadn't seen hair. Um, texture in that way. And I couldn't stand it. And at first, uh, at first, I didn't know, I didn't really understand it. And then as I got older into middle school, I became extremely fierce over it. And my parents are very caring and very loving, but um, they would not ever allow me um, to get a free pass ever. Um, so I think I had a nice balance and, and I would say my mom is probably the aggressor of the two and my dad. Um, and so once I started, <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Huge, massive man, massive. Uh, you know, his, his hands were so big, Rob, he couldn't fit gloves. So, you, you know, we used to shovel the driveway with no gloves on. Um, so, you know, that was, that was just the norm. Um, and my mom, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll tell you. Yeah. Um, yeah, you, you know, for you know, watching me shovel a little bit, but more watching me sh- shovel the snow out of our driveway. Um, so yeah, so having the opportunity to know that I, I needed to put my foot down and be more aggressive, and 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 as I was, and and I just realized, and I'll and I'll never forget moments like that where that was just so um, it was really gross um, I, to use a simplistic metaphor. Um, that someone just wanted to touch me um, because I just was different. It, it just, it just such a, just such a turnoff, but it was, it was quite common. And again, it was amongst adults as well. And until I finally really stood my ground and stood firm in that. Um, and I did not share that with my parents. I think that might, that might've set my mom off. Uh, probably why I didn't, probably why I didn't share it with her. But until I set my, until I set my ground with that, um, it didn't, that's when it finally stopped. Um, and, and to your question, Rob, I, I, I think I could probably answer it. 
I probably can answer your question with an example better than um, an action on your part. Um, recently, I was on the phone with a friend of mine and I said to her, um, and, and she's, she's, she's white and it's, it's relevant for this conversation. Um, I was getting ready to walk into a store and I had um, my gator on and it was, it was raining. And so I, I had a, a hooded sweatshirt. So I put my hood on and I had my earpiece in. So I put my hood on and then I pulled my gator up and, and I'm walking and, and I said to her, I said, Ann, I said, you know, a few months ago, if I walked into the store like this, um, odds are I might get shot and I probably would be, I should be concerned that I may. And then I said, you know, if now, if I don't wear my gator, um, I have now I have concern or a mask. I have concern that I'll be singled out once again. Um, so I took my hood off. Um, I took my hood off and on my gator and, and I walked in and I make sure um, when I walk into stores, you know, that my hands are out of my pockets. And so any cameras that see me see that, you know, I'm not carrying physically anything in and, when I walk out of stores, I always make sure that my hands are out of my pockets and that my receipt is in my hands. So again, it's on camera um, that I'm not stealing anything and, and that it's very clear that I'm not walking out with anything that isn't mine. Uh, and, and I would just share that as an example um, to just say that when I walk into a store or when you see me walk into a store, don't assume. Hmm don't assume that I am something that I'm not. I'm actually a dad of four married um, guy that really loves people and has built a career around um, building and creating the best uh, for kids. Don't assume. That's wonderful. Well, thank you for sharing that. Something as simple as keeping your hands out of your pocket is something that you have to think about in public as a black man. So uh, that's exactly what I was hoping or looking for that you would, you would instruct us on what has to go through your mind uh, in, in society. And not even, I don't want to even get into the right or wrong of that impression that you have the fact that you feel that way should should concern all of us. So I do appreciate that, and and I'm I, I'm sorry that you feel that way. Well, Rob, I uh, I tip my hat to you for the influence that you have on other people, um, and that influence is only growing. I would encourage my audience to check out uh, what you do and how you do it on WinByDesign.com. Uh, you'll also learn more about a subject we didn't have a chance to cover today about the A3 Learner, which is proprietary information that Rob's developed. Um, so thank you very much. Uh, you're an inspiration, and I wish you continued success. <clears throat> and I look forward to continued learning from you uh, as we continue our association, Rob. 
Rob, you're beautiful. I really appreciate your time. Appreciate the opportunity and your platform. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for being a part of this episode of Game Face Execs. If you found any of it useful or helpful, please rate or like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. I always appreciate you referring us to others as well. I'll see you next week. Until then, persuade, influence, inspire.